0: I'm producer Ryan Shaddy. We are taking a holiday break this weekend next, but we'll be airing some of the nonprofit groups that we have featured during the past year. As we near the end of 2016, we not only encourage you to make your year-end donation to one of these groups, but also consider donating to your local nonprofit radio station, WFHB. You can make your donation online at www.wfhb.org by clicking on the big red Donate Now button on our homepage. Although we are re-airing episodes, please continue to listen as we will have new featured music along with your LGBTQ plus news and event calendar. From all of us here at Blooming Out and WFHB, happy holidays. Now we will join hosts Jeff Pulling and Ryan Shaddy with Campus Pride's Executive Director, Shane Windmeyer. Campus Pride represents the leading national nonprofit 501c3 organization for student leaders and campus groups working to create a safer college environment for LGBTQ students. The organization is a volunteer-driven network for and by student leaders the primary objective of of Campus Pride is to develop necessary resources, programs, and services to support LGBTQ and ally students on college campuses across the United States. Founded in the fall of 2001 and launched a year later in October of 2002, Campus Pride started as an online community and resource clearinghouse under the name Campus Pride Net. In 2006, the organization broadened its outreach efforts and restructured as the current educational nonprofit organization, campus pride as part of the restructuring process the lambda 10 project for lgbt fraternity and sorority issues became an educational initiative of campus pride the executive director is national lgbtq civil rights leader and campus pioneer shane winmeyer shane is a 1997 graduate from indiana university He he and his husband of 21 years live in charlotte north carolina shane welcome to the show tonight
1: Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you.
0: I am glad to have you aboard. You know, I remember it was back um when did we have when did we have that uh, alphabet soup conference here in Bloomington? That was back in 2009, thereabouts.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's been a while.
0: Yeah. And we had uh we had you here on campus for that and and I remember that being one of the very first times, if not the first time that I had met you. And I was fascinated by all of the things that you did, and, and, and your organization did. And I'm really happy to know, here seven years long, here seven years uh, afterwards, you're still running strong.
1: Yeah, no, we've had a lot of good successes and achievements with Campus Pride.
0: So tell us a little bit more about your organization. What, um, what, what? How did you get started? Uh, where did you get the idea for Campus Pride? And um, what do you do?
1: Yeah, no, um, I appreciate being on uh, (laughs) with you all tonight. Um, You know, Campus Pride has come a long way. Um, We were uh, founded as an online clearinghouse back in 2001. Uh, It was originally called Campus Pride Net, and myself and a couple colleagues, which, you know, back then I was, you know, in my early 20s, uh, thought it was uh, important to have a clearinghouse for you know LGBTQ students uh, to create student groups on campuses and to find resources, you know, such as, uh, you know, how to fundraise, how to, you know, what to do your first student uh, organization meeting, you know, uh, many times back in, in, you know, the the 90s. um, There wasn't a lot of support. Um, There still isn't a lot of support. But, you know, back then it was, you know, very unlikely that there were student organizations and oftentimes those student organizations would come and go. And so, you know, Campus Pride got started as an online network, at clearinghouse, and uh, in 2006, 2007, we got our 501c3 and uh, became a full-fledged national nonprofit organization with, you know, several signature programs such as our our national index, the Campus Pride Index, uh, which you know a lot about, and you know, IU Bloomington has been one of our leading institutions in the country when it comes to policies, programs, and practices, and. Um, You know, then we have our camp program, our summer leadership camp. We do college fairs across the country. So, you know, we've come a long way, and, you know, Campus Pride is still growing. Uh, This year, for the first time ever, we did the, you know, the absolute worst campuses for LGBTQ students, which, you know, sadly um, are campuses that have used uh, religion uh, as a way to, you know, perpetuate uh, harm and, and ignorance toward LGBTQ young people. So, lots to talk about, and so excited to be here with you.
0: Yeah, and it, you know, having you on here, uh, IU has made the list of of some of your top colleges the last few years, and so we're going to bring it a little local. Um, you were a graduate from IU in 1997. How was the climate here when you were here?
1: You know, I came at a really great time because um, it was 1990. Five when I arrived on campus and uh, there had been a lot of uh, really hard-fought uh, um, uh, community activism prior to when I got there for the LGBTQ uh, Resource Center uh, that, uh, you know, Doug Bowder, uh, the coordinator, director of the center had just started um, in the office and, you know, there was a lot of drama and a lot of political strife uh, that happened, you know, in leading up to the funding of that center in the state of Indiana. Um, so, you know, I got there after it all was achieved, and you know, got to experience the very first year of volunteering in the office and and working with Doug and you know, helping you know, create some programs and services. So it was a great time to be there from a standpoint of the office. Um, you know, as far as the local Bloomington community, I mean. It has always been a an, o, an oasis of progressive, uh, you know, community members, um, even around LGBTQ issues. Um, you know, it's not perfect, of course, but um, compared to where I grew up in Kansas and you know, in, in rural areas of the country, I mean, you know, it was it was a it was a wonderful place to get an education. Um, uh, I would like to say that you know, it's continued to improve and gotten better. Um, you know, there were professors and there you know, even in my graduate program, uh, there's you know, there was a lot of ignorance around what it meant to be LGBTQ and, you know, trying to get LGBTQ experiences into the classroom, uh, beyond just policies, I think is where I was trying to push IQ at the time I was a student.
0: Now did your growing up in Kansas have um, any bearing on what you currently do with uh, campus pride and as their executive as their executive director?
1: Well, I think you know being a first generation college student, um, growing up uh, in you know in a rural community, um, not having access to a lot of resources uh, that you might find in a in an urban or um, you know a, l- a large city or a progressive city, um, you know really shapes how you look at things and how you. Make decisions, and so I would say that growing up in Kansas, uh, being a first-generation college student, uh, going to a small liberal arts, publicly funded institution, then going to IU, uh, you know, informs kind of how I look at higher education, how I, uh, you know, try to lead campus pride in creating greater access and equitable uh, treatment of LGBTQ students, um, and making sure everyone's voice is heard. Um, Oftentimes, you know, we've seen in the movement for LGBTQ equality, um, you know, we've seen that a lot of our attention has been placed in large urban centers or at large public institutions that, you know, have more resources. But, you know, we've run into a time now in 2016 where we have all the haves and all the have-nots, and what we find is there's a real sharp division between the campuses like IU that have had resources and had a strong commitment for a while now and campuses that are still in the dark um, when it comes to LGBTQ work largely because they haven't had the focus or the volunteers or the support or the financial resources to do much work so I think growing up in Kansas you know just growing up with limited access has really informed kind of my work ethic and you know how we do our work with Campus Pride
0: Thinking back a little bit, Shane, um, how have, uh, what are the differences in challenges and issues between uh, when you were in college and um, how they are now?
1: <laughs> well, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of differences. I mean, as a movement, as um, young people, um, you know, millennials are much different in how they approach uh, life, how they approach diversity. Um, You know, uh, you know, back when, back, you know, 20 years ago uh, when I was younger and still identified as a a young person, a youth, um, you know, I would um, say that we oftentimes were forced to be in boxes of identity. So I was a, a gay man, you know, and that was one box being gay and being a man and, Um, You know, I wasn't able to look at kind of gender expression the way that we are today, uh, or at least it wasn't readily talked about or discussed or wasn't something that uh, was part of the lexicon of how we look at higher education. And so, you know, I think today's young person, you know, has its own challenges um, in looking at its identity, but we, we definitely are much more approving of intersections and seeing the gray in how we choose to express our gender, for instance, or how we choose to express ourselves um, as far as our faith or spirituality, or you know, even defining, you know, you know how we looked at multiracial or mixed race people and realizing that, you know, each of us has our own intersections, and because of when we grew up, maybe we didn't express them, you know, now as an adult. The way that we maybe would have if we would have grown up in a different era. So I think young people today have a lot of um, a lot of benefits. Um, I think trans young people are probably, um, you know, from our standpoint, uh, one of the populations that you know is now being discussed. That back in the day, I mean, trans awareness, gender non-binary students talking about, you know, uh, you know, just the impact. Um, of violence and harassment on, on trans youth and particularly uh, queer youth of color, trans youth of color um, is something that, you know, is, it, it's a, it's a good progression, but we still have a lot more work to be done.
0: Absolutely. And you go back, I, you know, I, I, I think back to, to our conference in 2009 and think about all of the, um, all of the letters we had then, well, just think about what we've done in the last seven years. We've added a ton more. Since then, and on top of that, I can only imagine how many letters we've added in our alphabet soup since uh, since 1997 or even 1995 when you helped Doug set up, set, set up this office here in Bloomington.
1: Well, I mean, Doug really set it up. I just helped. Um, and, you know, InbleTech, what's interesting about, you know, the alphabet soup conference, first of all, it's celebrating, I believe, its 25th anniversary this year, um, which is exciting um, and, to re- you know, back in 1992-94, you know, I was I attended uh, one of the very first Involtech conferences, and so, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that, that that shows, you know, a variety of things, but for me it reminds me of how far we've come, and, you know, it's great to have a conference that is student-run and uh, has the support of students, you know, across the Midwest um, that, you know, is now celebrating 25 years.
0: Yeah, and that show uh, is, is very tough to put on, which is why you haven't seen it back in Indiana, or, well, back at Indiana, <laughs> rather, <laughs> since then.
1: They're having, it, um, they're having it on Navy Pier, if that kind of tells you anything. I mean, it's that big.
0: Yeah, it's a, it was a great conference. Shane, what, um, what are you uh, doing in terms of advocacy right now with your group?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, Campus Pride has a, a few, um, uh, you know, objectives as far as the mission uh, of building future leaders and creating safer, more inclusive LGBT campus communities. Um, and part of that is advocacy work, right? Like how do we advocate for, for safer, more inclusive communities? And, and one of the big projects that we um, received funding about, um, you know, four or five months ago is from the Gill Foundation, and it was uh, basically to... Uh, focus on campuses that um, have requested the legal uh, right uh, to legally discriminate against LGBTQ young people in higher education. And um, as we may or may not know, I mean, your your listeners, um, there's something called Title IX. And Title IX basically looks at equitable treatment um, related to gender and ensures that, you know, simply that you have a women's and a men's basketball team, right? Like, like you have you know, gender equity in sports, for instance. Um, you know, the Obama administration clarified in 2014 about um, how, you know, transgender is included um, as far as the definition of gender. And so, you know, campuses quickly started talking about trans students and how equitable treatment of trans students would be making sure they have access to, you know, bathroom facilities, uh, making sure that locker rooms are inclusive of trans people. And so... Um, Campus Pride has done a lot of advocating around, uh, you know, Title IX and around um, particularly these exemptions that about, you know, roughly 100 campuses have applied or received. Um, These are religious-based campuses who can get a Title IX exemption based on their religious views. And um, Campus Pride, you know, much like our young people, have decided that, you know, regardless of your religious freedom and your religious views, discrimination is wrong. And so, you know, you know if, if you're going to discriminate against a transgender young person on your campus and not allow them to have access to a locker room or access to your residence hall or kick them off campus or in some way, you know, discriminate uh, through a legal protection uh, by exempting Title IX, then we're going to call you out on it. And so Campus Pride created a shame list. To really call out religion-based bigotry at its worst, and we named uh, 102 campuses to the absolute worst campuses for LGBTQ students uh, on our shame list, and you can find that at campuspride.org slash shame list, but people are shocked today, regardless of religious views, that a young person can, you know, be discriminated against because of who they are um, at a campus, uh, regardless of whether it be a religious campus. It's just it it's it's, it's mean spirited um you know religious behavior that you know i think we are reaching a tipping point where people you know see religion and they respect religion and everyone should have a religious view but discrimination and bigotry is wrong regardless of how you you mask it
0: absolutely yeah you you hit the nail on the head right there and uh you live in a state right now with with some issues of your own don't you <laughs>
1: Yeah, so North
0: Carolina, right? I, yep. I I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, and we'll we'll uh, discuss more in depth into that because I think that's a point that I want to talk talk about. Uh, you've had of you've um you've had your say in the debate in North Carolina. Uh, I've read some of your your pieces written to the governor, and uh, we're gonna we're definitely going to hit on that uh, here in the second half of of the show uh but one last quick question shane um before we head into our first break what is um what is campus pride uh doing um that that will really help uh college students in the future uh be able to get a little further ahead
1: You know, we we have our scholarship database. So, um, you know, when we talk about getting ahead, it's about access to higher education. So uh, Campus Pride is the only national organization that is focused on, you know, helping high school students get to the right college. And so we have our college program. We also have a scholarship database, which helps them find scholarships to go to school. And so, you know, Campus Pride is linking uh, LGBTQ young people, um, primarily, you know, young people of color and first-generation students, Uh, with the access, um, right, because we talk a lot about, you know, equality, but we have to make sure that everyone has access, and so, you know, the college fair program, which right now um, we have one coming up in New York, uh, we have one coming up in Boston, uh, L.A., uh, we have one in St. Louis. Uh, We need to get IU to sign up for these college fairs, actually, Um, maybe you can put a shout out to IU to make sure that they're represented because it's about showing up and it's about showing that you're committed to LGBT students. And so these colleges that show up at these fairs are sending a message that we want to recruit you, just like Harvey Milk said, you know, we're here to recruit you. Um, And, you know, I think that's going to change the future for LGBT young people is when you get colleges recognizing that they're a demographic that they need to recruit and that they need to retain. It costs more money to recruit a new student than it does to retain a current one. And so colleges like IU and across the country need to think about retention efforts as well as recruitment efforts. And that's where Campus Pride has been, you know, really keeping the eye on the ball there um, and keeping that rolling forward is getting higher education to commit to academic success for its LGBTQ students and getting, you know, forms like the Common App and the Universal App, you know, to ask optional demographic questions on college admission forms so students can self-identify if they choose to so they can you know, monitor you know, did the students actually graduate. Much like we look at students of color or athletes, you know, we know what their grade point and averages are. We know if they graduate in four years. We don't know that for LGBTQ students, so there's no responsibility that the campus takes in ensuring their academic success. So that's where Campus Pride has been putting the most pressure
0: lately. We will get back to our interview with Shane Winmeyer, the Executive Director of Campus Pride, here in a few short minutes, but we are going to now take our first music break of the evening. And we are listening to some of our favorite holiday songs on tonight's show. Last week, we featured their rendition of Hallelujah. According to ChristmasFM.com, the acapella group Pentatonix have three of the best Christmas albums of all time. If you are looking for some fresh festive cheer this year, Pentatonix is exactly what you need. The five-piece, two-time Grammy Award-winning a cappella group bring their unique spin to the Christmas genre. The group first made its name as a YouTube sensation and then as the winners of NBC's The Scene Off's third season. Pentatonix specializes in innovative arrangements of contemporary and classic pop and rock songs. Pentatonix recently released their third holiday album, and I can promise you, all three are equally as magical. On this Christmas EP, all the carols featured are covers of traditional Yuletide favorites, from 19th century West British smash hits, such as Angels We Have Heard on High, to the more contemporary jazz standards this Christmas. Anyone who has heard Pentatonix before knows their a cappella sound is amazing. This album does not disappoint and thus raises the bar, this time for Christmas music. Here is Coldest Winter by Pentatonics.
2: miles away. Memories made in the coldest winter. Goodbye, my friend. Will I ever love again? Memories made in the coldest winter.
0: That was Pentatonic's latest Christmas hit, Coldest Winter, here on Blooming Out on WFHB. And now we will return to host Jeff Pulling and Ryan Shaddy with Campus Pride's Executive Director, Shane Winmeyer. Let's get into a little bit about what's happening in North Carolina. Your governor is a bigot, <laughs> plain and simple. That's, that's what's going on. Um, what ha- how has Campus Pride been getting into... Um, into the issues in North Carolina right now.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I have to say, though, I mean, Indiana, you're used to this, having a governor like that, correct?
0: <laughs> yes, you called me out.
1: <laughs> so uh, it's funny. I tend to pick states to move to or to spend time with where, you know, Kansas, Indiana, North Carolina.
0: Um, <laughs> you've done a, a cut-up job, Shane.
1: Right. So our, our governor is just um, making all the wrong decisions. And, um, you know, I live in the city of Charlotte. And keep in mind, much like Bloomington, the city of Charlotte, the mayor, uh, the elected officials, you know, did the right thing. They passed an inclusive uh, LGBT public accommodations, uh, you know, law for the city. Uh, and, you know, it was going to go into effect. Um, and that was uh, in early April. Uh, when it was going to go into effect, and the governor decided to hold a special session with the North Carolina General Assembly and basically um, spent, you know, roughly 30000 40000 uh, approximately that I, I recall in a special session to keep the the city of Charlotte from implementing that law. And they, they even went a step further in saying that no municipality could pass any you know, in, uh, non-discrimination laws in the future, right? So they basically took the right away from the municipalities to govern themselves when it comes to discrimination. They also took away legal recourse for, you know, a number of civil rights, including, you know, people of color being able to, to have the legal recourse. They incorporated into the bill a, you know, a living wage uh, restriction uh, where, you know, only the, the state government could pass any living wages uh, changes. Um, municipalities couldn't do that. It, it was a mess, and it was definitely something that was highly political for the governor and the General Assembly to do. Um, it happened under the, the, the veil of um, secrecy. It was introduced the same morning it was passed and signed by the governor. So it all happened within a period of 12 hours. I mean, this is unheard of in politics and in in what we would call a a modern democracy. Um, And so, you know, the governor knew it was wrong. Um, The governor didn't expect the backlash uh, from, I think, outside the LGBTQ community. Um, There's been over 100 um, CEOs of corporations from across the country that have um, stepped in and said this is wrong. But ultimately, the governor has dug in his heels along with the North Carolina General Assembly um, it will basically come down to November and the election. I think the election you know has to be a uh, a mandate on you know are we going to continue with this governor and his uh, you know, uh, you know awful decisions that have cost you know the city of Charlotte as well as the entire state you know millions of dollars and potentially even you know more money um, in the future.
0: what um when when you think back, to all of the things that you've um, y- again you you've lived in Kansas you've been in Indiana uh, you now live in North Carolina what makes this instance a little different than um, maybe something you've been through in the in the, in, in the past
1: well uh, you know every time I mean the movement has changed so much um, you know I think what is um, what has come full circle is that Our movement started out with trans people leading the way. You know, if you think about the Stonewall riots, you know it was trans people, you know, gender non-binary people who were at the forefront. And then, because of how you know class and um, privilege insert itself into politics, you know, trans people were pushed aside in the in the '80s and '90s. you know, a lot of the you know the AIDS epidemic you know caused us to think about gay men and you know lesbians, and it, it was seen as more tolerable in the political realm uh, to fight for rights for gay and lesbian people, and then you know um, bisexual was understood, and you know, and we didn't really talk much about trans people, and and so I find it fitting that you know we're back to the point of coming full circle to say you know what the discrimination of trans people is real. And, uh, you know, the violence is real, and we need to do something about it. We can't just focus our movement in an insular manner around sexual identity. And ultimately, you know, the crux of all this discrimination is really on how we express ourselves. Um, you know, you can see that in a lot of the work I used to do in fraternities and sororities, you know, it is now very much acceptable, acceptable for a gay man to join a brotherhood, uh, or a sisterhood for a, a, a woman, but, you know, ultimately if that gay man were to express themselves in a more effeminate way, you know, that's the real challenge. And so, you know, we've gotten back to this idea of gender expression, which, you know, is everyone has a gender expression, um, and, you know, ultimately for trans people, their identity being non-binary or, you know, a trans woman or a trans man, you know, I'm glad that we're at the point to have this very healthy dialogue you know, within our community about being truly inclusive of trans people and, and not just doing it as kind of this cisgender way of, you know, looking at people and saying, yeah, you know, we have the T on the LGBT, but we really don't understand. And I, I hope that we'll see greater inclusion of intersex, you know, talking about intersex and talking about, you know, asexual people, um, pansexual, you know, middle sexualities. Um, there's just so much we can learn within our community to be better advocates for, you know, gender justice, and you know, uh, you know, justice around sexuality and the spectrum that truly you know represents the entire rainbow of who we are.
3: Shane, is it a true? Um, and I, I did see this on the uh, website on the campus pride under trans advocacy that more than ninety percent of two and four year institutions in the United States remain completely inaccessible and inhospitable to Repeat transgender that one more students.
0: Time, Jimmy. Repeat that statistic one more time.
3: Well, more than ninety percent of two to four year in- institutions in the U.S. remain completely inaccessible and inhospitable to transgender students.
1: Yeah, so what we're talking about there is um, like gender inclusive housing, uh, restroom facilities that are that are inclusive of trans students. Uh, we're talking about non discrimination statements that include the words gender identity. Um, when we look at all that in a, in a big picture, um, that statistic is very true. Um, you know, only about, I believe, 16 to 18 percent of campuses have a non-discrimination statement that's inclusive of gender identity.
3: It and you have um, your, your, your website, your, um, your uh, organization has uh, a campus pride trans policy clearinghouse, right?
1: Yes. If you go to campuspride.org, we do have a Trans Policy Clearinghouse, and that's where, um, you know, pretty much is the go-to place for uh, higher education and trans inclusion. And you can get to it directly by going to campuspride.org slash T is in Trans, T is in Policy, and C is in Clearinghouse, um, campuspride.org slash TPC. Or you can just click on the research tab when you get to the main page.
3: Well, I've got to tell you, I am really impressed with uh, your, your website. The amount of information, um, resources that can be extracted from it is, is really impressive. You guys cover everything.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, uh, you know, Dr. Jenny Beeman, they, they are our Trans uh, Policy Clearinghouse Coordinator and they've done a wonderful job, and um, you know, I'd I, I like to take credit for some things, but many of our volunteers, I mean, we're a volunteer-driven organization, so um, it can be rough sometimes. And, of course, we'd love to have more funding, as you all understand how important funding is, but we do our best with what we have.
0: Shane, if, if, you're, uh, if you return back a little bit, um, back to our uh, worst of the worst, kind of, uh, that you list that you just um released a couple of weeks ago uh, can you name off a few of those colleges
1: <laughs> oh for sure um so i mean you can go to org slash shameless right and we we called it the shameless because we really wanted to call out a uh, religion-based um discrimination um you know that is that that you know is is bigoted um and that you know perpetuates uh you know, bias toward LGBT young people. And so, you know, we feel it's careless, but it's also um, shameful to use religion in a way that discriminates. Um, You know, and and I'm not saying people don't have the right to do it. I'm just saying we believe that it's shameful. And so um, we created the shameless, and, you know, um, many LGBT young people, as you know, uh, who have uh, suffered from uh, religious-based bigotry or intolerance you know, are at high risk of, you know, depression, suicidality, you know, it's, it's another complicating factor. And so, you know, some of the campuses you might know, um, I'm trying to think, we do have, I believe, a couple in Indiana even. So let me see if I can pull those out real fast. There's 102 of them and you can scroll down the page. On the page you can learn why they are on the shame list, why they are, um, uh, are the worst campus for LGBTQ students. Uh, one of them is Bethel College, uh, which is what, Mishawaka, Mishawaka Indiana. Um, and um, do you know where that is?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. And also, Indiana Wesleyan University as well is on that list, I do believe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the, we had two criterion. Um, first of all, they could be on there for either criterion. Um, the first criteria was that they have had to um, have sought, uh, applied, received, one or the other, a Title IX exemption to openly and freely discriminate against an LGBT young person. And so uh, that's obviously what Bethel College has applied uh, for a Title IX exemption, so they could restrict students based on their sexual identity, gender identity, their marital status, uh, their pregnancy, or if they receive an abortion, they want to be able to kick that student off campus or or not give them access to a level of service or to a... um, you know, a program of the
0: campus. Shane, I want to ask a quick follow-up question to that really quick. What is Campus Pride doing to get rid of these exemptions? What what can I mean, obviously there always has to be a religious based exemption and, and this might be a difficult question for you because it's gonna be a I mean it's gonna be a hard one to answer. What can we do to to ensure that no student is discriminated against doesn't make a difference which college you go to?
1: Well, I think we have to understand and we have to vocalize uh, our own religious freedom. So, you know, as a Christian, you know, your values um, are that, you know, it's not a sin to be LGBTQ. I think we're going to reach a tipping point, if we haven't already, where people understand that, you know, being LGBTQ is not a sin. Regardless of you being Christian Catholic, there's many people who are Catholic who don't believe what the Pope says, who, you know, who are Christian, who... You know their Baptist minister may say this, but in their heart they believe that their their kid who's gay is not a sin, right? Just for who they are, and so we have to be able, as individuals, to claim our own religious freedom and not let people who are using it in bigoted ways claim Christianity. So we need to see more of that. Um, at the end of the day, there is this legal right for a Title IX exemption. Um, People have a legal right. Campuses can apply for these Title IX exemptions, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And uh, a good example is Pepperdine University, uh, you know, in I believe it was January of this year, um, had written the Department of Education. They had a Title IX exemption from the 80s. And they wrote the Department of Education said, we don't want it any longer. We're still a religious-based institution that is religiously controlled, but we don't want this exemption any longer because we don't feel it's what we should be doing as a campus. And they wouldn't elaborate on that. But I think what they realized is that as Christians, um, as people of faith, they don't want to be on the wrong side of history. And at the end of the day, campuses are businesses. Nobody wants to send their young person to a campus that discriminates against anyone, right? And so, um, that's why we created the shame list, is so corporations, you know, businesses, individuals can know these campuses, you know, believe that their religion, you know, Jesus, whoever they believe in, right, will discriminate against an LGBT young person, and they want the right to do that. So, So, I think that's one of the, the key things Campus Pride is doing, is just to educate the American public that in higher education, we still have religious-based bigotry that is discriminatory toward LGBT young people.
3: So Shane, I have a personal, um, I guess, a problem that I notice a lot of universities allow, and I don't think I'm alone with this. And maybe you'd like to possibly comment on it because I'm, I've am i been very curious as to how it is allowed. And I do understand freedom of speech. I do understand that, you know, that the universities are to allow um, various um, speakers onto their campus and speak about, you know, various issues. However, there tends to be this growing... Um, I'll I'll call them preachers of hate movement, and there are many universities I believe, or maybe maybe there aren't many, but there are certain universities that allow these people onto the campus mm-hmm. and allow them to broadcast to Brother yell Joe in Bloomington. At- they they allow them to yell at students walking by and call them out as sinners, as, you know, whatever, and are really happy to let everyone know that they are going to burn in hell. I don't understand a uni- that how universities are allowing that. I, My personal opinion is that it's hate speech, and I don't think it should be allowed. Could you Would you mind commenting on that?
1: Sure. No, and, and I've dealt with this for, you know, actually since I was a college student. We had, um, I grew up in Kansas, and, As you know, Fred Phelps, one of the notorious anti, you know, gay, just hate preachers out there, um, you know, kind of, I want to say, started this movement, but he was very well known for going to campuses and and doing exactly what you're saying, and so I grew up with Fred Phelps doing that, and and he actually scared, um, you know, Maya Angelou from coming to my undergraduate campus when I was a student. Wow. He was very aware of it.
3: That's sad.
1: Yeah, it's very sad, exactly, and... um, Campus Pride actually has a quick resource, just if you go to our site, it's called How to Handle Hate Creatures on Campus. Oh, okay. That's what we call them, and it's just some tips, right? Um, You know, public campuses have to have free speech zones. Now you can govern those free speech zones and put them, you know, in different places, but um, as a public campus, you have to have free speech areas. Sometimes you don't have to allow amplification in those free speech areas because they're close to academic settings. But each campus has to look at how they, you know, create free speech. Um, the best way to deal with free speech is to exercise your own free speech. And that get back to what I was saying earlier with religious freedom. Religious freedom doesn't just go one way. It goes both ways. And people, you know, religious freedom is not about being anti-LGBT. It's also about being, you know, pro-LGBT and supportive and realizing that, being LGBT is not a sin. And so dealing with these hate preachers, I think, is an important lesson for us all to understand about exercising our own free speech. And it was Morris Deeds at the Southern Poverty Law Center who once said, you know, people have, whether we like it or not, people have the right, right, to, to hate, right? Like, people have the right to hate, but they don't have the right to hurt someone or act on that hate in a way that will hurt someone, right? And so it's about the action, right? It's not about the thought right? And whether we like it or not, the thought itself, unless it turns into a threat directed at an individual, right, which is sometimes hard to prove in a court of law, right, these free speech areas are exactly, you know, the place where these hate creatures will go. And and our part is to make sure our students also exercise their free speech. But we have a number of strategies for these hate creatures. First of all, you know, try to ignore them. Don't give them any media attention. Do not touch them. Many of them, um, are, um, you know, linked into legal organizations that if you touch them, uh-huh. they'll try to sue the group or campus.
3: Interesting. So,
1: mm-hmm. um, you know, we've done a, a classic way to deal with hate creatures is create kind of a lemonade campaign where for every, you know, hour that they're there, you know, you get people to donate, your professors, your other students donate a dollar or $10 to an LGBT cause.
3: That's wonderful. A- I like that.
1: Yeah, and so these are old tricks that you know I've learned over the years that that we've passed on on our website. Um, the Matthew Shepard Foundation, you know, created the, age, the Angel campaign where they created angels and basically you know were in the free speech areas and blocked them out, right, with these big old angels.
3: Wonderful. Um, you know, one
1: campus where I was at is kind of. Um, well, actually, I, I was. I heard the story at a campus of uh, Fred Phelps had went to picket a funeral because he would oftentimes. You know, he's now passed away, but sadly, you know, his family is carrying on this. As the
0: legacy moves on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but um, they um, showed up at a funeral of a, um, a military officer to pick it, and they stayed at a hotel. It was a small community. They stayed at a hotel, and, you know, they ultimately have the legal right to do this. Um, again, just because you have the right to do it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. But the, the folks in that community were smart. They, um, you know, while they were sleeping that night, all of them went and parked their cars in that parking lot and parked it so they couldn't get out of the parking lot the next (laughs) morning when they woke up for the funeral. So they were literally blocked in and the one towing company in town uh, put something on his voicemail like "Sorry, we're at the funeral. <laughs> we will not be open until you know six o'clock or whatever time to to help with anything." So that community was really clever in how they chose to deal with that. That's, that's awesome. Funny.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I have I have two things really quick, Shing. First, um, I I want to I wish we would turn the roles on these people who bring their. Fire and brimstone signs to campus and say, "Oh, you're going to be uh, <laughs> you're going to be uh, internally uh, internally thrown in flames because of this, that, and the other." Mostly, it's because they're. I mean, they're really hateful, and with as much hate as, as what they have in their in, in their souls and in their bodies and in their minds, I really do believe that that if if heaven or hell exists they're probably not going to wind up where they think they're going going to wind up. That's the first thing. Second thing is uh, I want to head back to the whole Title IX thing for a second. So you're telling me that we can still give your tax money, my tax money, JP's tax money, Sarah's tax money to schools who discriminate?
1: So let me let me clarify for you. So a religious institution – Uh, that is religiously controlled can uh, apply for a Title IX exemption, right? And it is true that these religious institutions, many of them, receive taxpayer dollars through research grants, through um, scholarships for you know, Pell Grants and things of that nature. So, tax dollars are going to support these private religious institutions who, in turn, are now applying for an exemption to discriminate on the basis of, you know, gender identity or sexual identity or you know in the past they have discriminated against pregnant women out of wedlock they've discriminated against um, you know young women who do have um, an abortion or you know uh, practice you know with Planned Parenthood um, you know take care of their own bodies and their their own uh, health Um, and so that is true that many of the campuses on the absolute worst list um, are getting taxpayer dollars and I think that's a real question to ask and you know Many of these campuses too are considered, you know, by some to be um, the safest campuses. Um, there was a list that just came out last month that said, you know, uh, BYU, Brigham Young University, Liberty University were among the safest campuses. And I'm like, how, you know, how awful is that that <laughs> these national lists have basically left out LGBT students when it considers safety? What yeah. they're talking about is like, you know, how much alcohol is consumed or how many. You know, crime oh reports reported, but they forget about the religious intolerance and the, the persecution that a young person feels who almost takes their life with a suicide or depression.
0: I know. Okay, Shane, that's all the time we have uh, for this evening with you. And I, we've got to get you. We have so much more to talk about.
3: We do, Shane. Please come back on the show again.
0: Yeah,
1: anytime. And check out our website at campuspride.org, and you know our resources. Uh, we have a job board that we just launched called campuspride.jobs. So if you know of any employers that want to reach out to LGBTQ young people, um, you know campuspride.jobs uh, is a great resource. And I would love to come back anytime for y'all.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak with you this evening, Shane. All right. Take care. Have Thanks, a wonderful- Shane. Have a good night. We will end our show this evening with a couple of songs for your holiday cheer. Our next song intro comes from AllMusic.com. The Gay Syntho Duo Erasure's holiday album makes you nostalgic for the animated Christmas television specials of the past with its artwork but bold enough to drop I Don't Believe in Your Religion, I Only Know What I Can See during its opening number, Bells of Love. There are many original holiday songs here, vividly depicting the time of year when many reflect and roll wistfully through the nostalgic thoughts in their head, all in an effort to gather some spiritual warmth after being driven inside by cold days and long nights. That's much more effort than veteran acts usually pour into a holiday album, but with odd, quirky, and cheeky ideas popping in and out. Snow Globe is still for those predisposed to the duo. Think of it as a personal and meaningful gift for fans, not just some didn't think much about it, trinket, or faceless gift certificate. Here's Loving Man by Erasure. <music> from The Back Door, downtown Bloomington's queers bar, dance club, and venue. From live bands and DJs to drag shows and karaoke, there is something for everyone every day of the week. The Back Door is located at 207 South College in the alley behind Atlas Bar, and more information can be found on Facebook or online at bckdoor.com. Our final song tonight was recorded at Angel Studios and Sarm Music Village. The album features 13 tracks. Including several duets and a mix of original and classic songs, Kylie Minogue has enlisted the help of her sister Danny Minogue for the deluxe version of this album, recording the brand new song "100 Degrees," set to be a disco Christmas classic. James Corden features on Yazoo's brilliant "Only You." Iggy Pop joins Kylie on the Waitress's best-of hit "Christmas Wrapping." while Frank Sinatra posthumously completes the roll call of collaborators appearing on Santa Claus is Coming to Town. From Kylie Christmas, here's Christmas Wrapping.
1: One best along those lines,
2: check so those halls, trim those trees, raise up cups of Christmas cheer. I just need to catch my breath. Christmas by myself this year <laughs> Count a picture frozen left, keep chilling. in touch Didn't, of course, until summertime Out to the beach to both could to join him No, this time it was me Summer in the third degree Now the calendar's just one page And of course I am excited Tonight's a night, but I set my mind not to do much Just, just just <laughs> yeah. cool.
3: ho, ho, ho! We'd like to thank you for tuning in tonight. If you're interested in volunteering here at WFHB or for our show, contact volunteer at wfhb.org if you'd like to add your event to our event calendar, please email us at bloomingout@wfhb.org. You can also call us at 812-323-1200, tweet us at bloomingout, WFHB, visit our Blooming Out Facebook page, or find us on Instagram. The executive producer of Blooming Out is Joe Crawford. The producer is Ryan Shaddy.
0: For host Jeff Pulling and associate producer and board engineer Sarah Hetrick, I'm Ryan Shaddy, wishing you a happy holiday. Tune in again next week at 6 p.m. or find us online at bloomingout.com. Thank you for joining us on Blooming Out. Be sure to find us online for past episodes, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and more at bloomingout.com. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. for Blooming Out on WFHB.